Let me just introduce this topic with a uh, brief video from, well, you'll see. In 2007, the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, Blood Diamond, revealed the dark side of the world's most sought-after gem. The film is set in Sierra Leone, one of the poorest nations on earth. The average income of its people is little more than a hundred pounds a year. Yet, beneath its soil lies a treasure trove of diamonds. Sierra Leonean diamonds are legendary uh, for their value and, uh, and their beauty. It's the size, the color, uh, the refractive nature of, of the stone, all those qualities that the, the diamond specialists know and love. Diamonds should have made Sierra Leone a paradise. Instead, they've made it a hell. From 1991 to 2001, a brutal war raged between the government and the rebel group called the RUF the Revolutionary United Front, a war funded in part by Gandhi. They said they were fighting for democracy, but they fought against civilians. And they used diamonds to fuel the very thing. They used diamonds to get the guns to war. The country and its people still bear the scars of 10 years of diamond-fueled warfare. A very day. We are talking too hard. That very day when they kept my hands on, I didn't expect to leave. This is the story all over Sierra Leone. One amputee after another. Many, many thousands of people lost legs or arms because of the Civil War. Sierra Leone's a little country right here, almost entirely Muslim, at least it was up until a number of years ago. It's a country where there are more beautiful diamonds, I think, than any other place in the world, barring perhaps South Africa. And the diamonds have fueled all kinds of corruption, both in the general populace, but also in the government, and probably fueled the, the civil war that took on when the Sierra Leone army went to war against the UAF. And then there was these other rebels that came up, and the result are old soccer teams on peg legs and arms missing and worse than that. That's the dark side of the kingdom of darkness. And those of you that are going into the medical profession, you're going to find many places like in this in the world where Satan has just had a heyday with the human race. Uh, every place you go, there are schools that are more bombed out than, than standing. But that is not where I want to stay this afternoon because in the midst of the kingdom of darkness can come the kingdom of heaven. And I want to tell you a little bit about one part of this story of how the kingdom of heaven has come in. And at the close, I'm going to play you a videotape, an a audio phone call with this particular person called Shadanka Johnson in which he shares how medical professions can help in dramatic ways bringing the kingdom of God to places like this. It started on this road, if you can call it a road. This actually looks pretty good. Most of it was far worse. And sitting in the back of this vehicle 
kind of bouncing up and down as we're going along, I began to ask Shadanke some questions. I hope this is loud enough. All of a sudden, I just saw these military guys come and they surrounded the building. Yeah. And you had been speaking out against the government? Yes, I was speaking against what they were doing because they were doing some things that were very wrong. Okay. You know, there is taking properties from people that do not belong to them. And uh, rather than going to rescue the people, they were taking what they have, their assets. Ranking official in the Sierra Leone Army. He gave me a chair to sit down and then he asked me this question What makes you so bold? He said, Because I have. He said, I, I normally put my military guys in that continental discipline. He said, But they, they cry like babies. But since this morning you have been in the continent and you have been singing, what makes you bold? And I looked at the corner and I said, Sir, do you really want to know what makes me busy here? I said, Sir, he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. I said, There's something in me that's bigger than anything that is in the world. And the man said, And what is that? <laughs> and I said, It's called the Holy Spirit, sir. He looked at me and he shook his head. And he said, I'm going to release you right now. Please report here first in the morning tomorrow. I said, okay, sir. And so I left. By the time I got home, my wife, my neighbors, they thought it was a ghost. They were expecting to come alive. So we came back, and people were advising me, don't please run away. Go, just run. I said, I'm not going to run away. Tomorrow, I'm going to go to them. They told me to go, I'm going to go to them. So in the morning, First in the morning, I went there. So when they saw me, they said, they said, so you came? I said, yes. 
He told me to come, that's why. <laughs> so later on, they took me back to the corner. And then the corner said, Where are you on Sunday? And I said, the corner, You know where I'm supposed to be on Sunday? I was in the church. And then he put the tape. They recorded me when I was preaching that church. And they put the tape. And I could hear my voice blasting for that very seriously. And he said, You know, why didn't you come and tell me that this is what my voice is? And I said, how can I come to you? I did not know you. So I said, well, God has made the opportunity for me to see you. And he said, okay, next time, when they, they do these things, just come to me. I will make sure I discipline them. I will deal with them. And then now he told me, can you please be coming here again to be talking to my boys? Because I really want them to be strong like you. And I said, okay, no problem. And so that's how I started going to every Thursday. And eventually, that's how I got connected to the army. We started now, this is the Sierra Leone army, Const's total Muslim army, and this man is now invited to train the top military in the army and on whatever subject he wants to. So he started using Discovery Bible Studies. How many of you know what a Discovery Bible Study is? It's something we must introduce to you. One after another, he would get these top leading officials to start studying the scriptures and also obeying them. Long before they believe, which is one of the secrets to movements, you actually disciple people into the kingdom, not disciple them once they believe. And so Shadanke started getting these colonels and generals to start obeying Jesus, and more and more of them began to fall in love with Jesus until... There were whole ranks within the military that were following Jesus. Here's another story. This is, shows you the impact and the change of life on these people. This man was actually, I think they call them the Kamojas. They were the opposition that rose up out of the people to try and stem the tide of the corruption from the military and those who were fighting them. And he started off as a good man and then, as so often happens, he turned evil. And he became a high-ranking official in this paramilitary organization and started doing atrocious things, killed people, maimed, uh, raped. And then Shadanke was captured by him and some others. And during the process, Jesus was shared and this guy actually became a believer. And then his whole life changed and he began to love the people and care for them. So when the war was all over and the United Nations came in to hold war tribunals, this man was put on trial and found guilty of savagery. But his life was spared because the rest of the community came and said, yes, we know he's done all these terrible things, but he's different now. He, he just changed. In the middle of this war, he became what we would call a true follower of Jesus, loved the people and served them, and so they spared his life. These are the kinds of stories we heard all throughout Sierra Leone. Some of you may have heard Sylvester because he's traveled here a bit in the States. I heard him in a story clip by Jerry Trousdale when he was telling me about his arrest, but then I got to interview him. There's my little microphone up there. I'll just play a bit of this. Let me say, hear that again. So he's now going into northern Nigeria. If you know anything about northern Nigeria, it's not a great place to be as a believer. It's the, the antagonism between Christianity and Islam is as great there as any place I've seen in the world. But they're going in there with great fruit. And here he's telling about it. In northern Nigeria, I was arrested three times at the Nigeria station. 
at three different locations. The first time I was arrested, put into prison, threatened to be killed, and the guys went out, they were singing their Muslim song. I don't have time to play his whole story, but he goes on to say how God absolutely rescued him from this. He was able to slip out while the guards were having a fight, grabbed his clothes, ran 50 kilometers. But he's gone back several times. One of the times he went, they were caught by some of the radicals. They looked at his buddy, found a Bible in his pocket, pulled out a gun and shot him dead. Then they turned on Silvestro and said, are you also Nigerian? No, I'm not. Well, then we don't have authority to kill you. And that's when they threw him in prison. But I have this beautiful picture of him holding his baby in Sierra Leone. So he's the father of a young bride and a young child. And he's still going back to reach, to, to, to have a harvest, a great harvest amongst the Muslims of northern Nigeria. Now, I've, I've blocked out these beautiful, beautiful people, saints, because I don't want in any way to impugn what they're doing. This is just not harvest time for this group. But these are all long-term workers in Nigeria who are trying to plant churches amongst Muslims in northern Nigeria. And they've been doing this for years. These yahoos in the front are just part of the Sky Foundation. We were coming over there to see if we could offer assistance to help train their people. But these are the real saints. And yet, after some, I don't know how many decades of labor, they could take us to this fellowship. And there were a few more. I don't know how many, but not many in all of northern Nigeria. They've got hundreds of workers trying to plant churches amongst Muslims in northern Nigeria, and they just have a handful to show. Meanwhile, Sylvester is going from Sierra Leone into northern Nigeria, and so far they've planted 180 churches amongst the Fulani, 210 amongst these radical Hausa Muslims, and 107 amongst the Kanuri. And these are documented stories. Jerry Trousdale, who wrote the book Miraculous Movements, he's behind this. He knows what's going on. They've carefully researched this. Something is happening in some of these places that is producing unprecedented fruit. And we want to learn how God is doing it. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about how this particular organization, New Harvest, is doing it because... I believe there's a lot that we in the medical profession can learn from how they're doing it. And I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. I'm very excited with what, what he thinks can be done. And then I want to see some of us go and do it. These are a bunch of, um, it's not relief, it's more development that they're doing for their own people. But it's not us coming in as foreigners. There's a little bit of foreign help. But the foreigners have done a really good job of helping the nationals to actually do it. So, for instance, uh, this is a nursery where they take in infants that are not wanted. The day that we were there, they just got triplets in. And instead of saying, okay, we'll take you in this orphanage for the rest of your life, resulting in the fact that you'll turn out to be uh, neither African nor Western, you'll be something in between, never really fit in your culture, they've decided that they're going to raise up Muslim background believers, bring them into the kingdom and then provide them with three things. Medical help for the children, uh, food for uh, 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 tuition for their schooling and clothing. Just those three things, which makes it possible for the nationals to actually adopt these children. So one by one, people who could never afford and never think of adopting say, well, if somebody else will pay the tuition for these children, provide medical care and clothing, we will take them in as our own. And so instead of having these numerous orphanages everywhere that 
have a very small return in terms of producing godly people that are expanding the kingdom. They're putting the children right back into believing homes that are nurturing them to become church planters like they themselves are. Gender sensitization. So, one of the countries in Europe decided to give some money to Sierra Leone, but they said, we will not do it until your women are treated better. So, the government conveniently passed a law that said, Women now have equal rights with men in terms of estate and adoption of, and child care. But as soon as they got the money from Europe, the, the law went under the books and nobody knew a thing about it. So the women were still treated very, very poorly. Well, these believers got together and put teams of dr- drama teams together and they would go out into all the little villages around and they do this role play. And you'd have a mother come in with her kids and then the father would come in and he'd have a divorce and he'd try and take the kids away because that's the way it is. The dad gets the kids and the dad gets the property and the mother is left basically on the streets. And then all of a sudden somebody stands up in the drama and says, wait a minute, our president just passed a law and they explain this law. And, and by the way, this really works. And so if you women have this problem, you can call this number and we will help you to keep both your property and your children Well, you can imagine how well that's going over. And place after place after place, they are planting churches that reproduce planting churches that reproduce planting churches. This is water purification because they don't want to become dependent on us. But some brilliant American engineer developed this really fast purification system and provided them a way so that they can package it and sell it. So their church planners, instead of getting money from us, take these little bags of water for four cents and go out in the boonies and sell it for five, which gets them just enough to survive. And every place they go, they're sharing Shema statements, stories of Jesus, starting Discovery Bible Studies and planting churches. This is the clinic. Now, this is just one, but this represents a whole new way of doing missions from my vantage point. What they've got in here are nationals doing much better than we can do in terms of church planting. This is what they call a junior doctor. And actually, he was pretty good because my friend that went with me developed a terrible rash while he was there. And this guy decided the rash was caused by his malaria medicine, took him off the malaria medicine he got here in the States and put him on something that we can't even get here, one pill for a month. He probably shortened his life by 10 years. But anyway, he (laughs) lost the rash and it was great. But I don't know how much training he's got, not much. But he's primarily a church planter. Every single person in New Harvest is a church planter. Those accountants who keep track of all the books, they are church planters who also keep the books. The guys that drove us around in the vans, they were church planters who also drove a van. And he's a church planter who also does medicine. Here he is giving a TB testing. This is one of the creative ways in which American medical has helped foster these movements. This guy has had no formal training other than, I think it was a, uh, an ophthalmologist from Chicago. I, that's the one part of the story I haven't confirmed. I called the church and they called back while I was on the plane, so I didn't get to confirm this. But I know American doctor went over, trained this guy in simple eye testing. There's no other help like this anywhere in this war-torn country. I mean, the country has just been devastated. And here comes this guy with some skill that he's gotten from these American missionaries And he's going everywhere giving simple tests. You always wondered how you give a test when people can't read. That's how they do it. 
and then giving our used glasses out to help people to be able to see. The genius was this. So Shadanke was here in the States speaking and a doctor, a dentist came up to him and said, I want to help you. I mean, this is just what you're seeing happen in your country is so phenomenal. How can I help? And Shadanke said, well, could you come over and train them to extract teeth? Well, I probably could do that. Well, what else could you train them of your profession in two weeks? And the guy says, it took me seven years of medical school. I mean, I can't do that in two weeks. Shadanke says, I think you can. And I want you to put your brain to this and get real creative. And so with the help of this Holy Spirit, this dentist put together a training program, two weeks long. He came over and took several guys like this. He gave them a few days of classwork and then started actually showing them how to do it. He also brought with him, I don't know if he designed this or if he found somebody else. I think it was a combination. It's a small collapsible chair that you can fold up and carry on the back of your motorbike, battery operated. And so these guys can go anywhere where we white people and even us non-white Americans can never go because of the problems we would cause. They can go everywhere and they set up their little chair, get the light just right in the guy's mouth and while they're drilling, they're telling them beautiful things about Jesus. Jesus' stories, looking for the person of peace who's interested in those stories, inviting them the next day to study further and starting churches. Many churches. I'll let Shadanke tell the rest of the story later. This is one of those men who was a church planter and then he added this skill of a simple dentist that has now led to multiple churches being planted. This is a typical taxi in this country, so you couldn't very well take anything like the nice medical mobile uh, dental clinics that we had. They just wouldn't get there. But you can throw that chair over under your arm and get on the back of the bike. There's still room for two more, I'm sure, and go <laughs> off and bring Jesus to the people. They've also started schools, 97 good-sized schools. They start them like this until the government says, this is so great that the government starts taking over. This is one of the stories that got me in the book, uh, Miraculous Movements. Chapter 3 has a story about prayer. And I had no idea that that took place in Sierra Leone until I was there. But in the book, it talks about a time when this man was out praying. And he went into this very woods at night to pray all night. And one night around midnight, he heard a shriek. And he, it was a, a bunch of ladies that were shrieking. And he realized it was the secret societies. They were initiating the women. He also knew that there was nothing they could do to stop this. It would happen until the last woman was initiated. Without anything other than God, he decided, I've got to fight this with God's help. I can't go to the police. I can't go to any authorities because nobody will care. These secret societies are too powerful. So he began to pray. And he prayed 30 days from uh, sun up until sundown until six, no, midnight until six in the morning. I think that's right. And the 30th day, some gals came running out of the forest, almost bled to death, but that, that revealed this problem to the authorities. It became a, a, a real stink. And eventually, that uh, secret society was driven out. And then he was actually able, by the grace of God, to add that property. It's one more of the 97 schools. This is the one we got to visit. Hundreds of children now being, being raised up former Muslim children being raised up in Christian schools to follow the Lord Jesus. These are church planters he's training, including a wonderful blind man that's 
Now, I want to tell you that I actually saw these fellowships. We got to drive in a car is too, too luxury as a word. We got to bump along in a car until we got here. And these were some of the fellowships of Muslim background believers we saw. That's Jerry Trousdale, the author of the book Miraculous Movements. This is the, the, uh, the chief. He's actually the head chief of this area. He's not yet a believer, but he's so impressed with Jesus that even though his mosque is right back here where he's still the imam, he allows all of his people to fellowship in this church. In fact, on this very occasion, he scolded the leader of this church for not rebuilding the shelter so that it would be waterproof when the rains came. And I thought that's really interesting. The imam is scolding the pastor for not making his church better. This is a, a gal from, Sierra, uh, from Liberia who came there as a widow herself and just by God's grace has been very, very effective. She's planted six churches in this area using Discovery Bible Studies. Another one of the churches. Very simple, ethnically uh, part of the culture. These are not Western songs we've sung. You notice that... $150,000 sound equipment for this worship service. Uh, here's another fellowship. I didn't get this one on audio, on video, unfortunately. This one was started by a blind man, another blind man. He'd actually started several churches. So there, the kingdom of God is now using people that much of the society would just throw away. Um, Here's another one, and uh, right here, Shadanke is telling a Jesus story and then asking them questions, moving to the place of asking for obedience. I want you to realize that this is not a small thing that God is doing. In this area of the world, they're starting in Sierra Leone, but they're going, sending workers into all the rest of this Muslim area. So as of uh, the end of last year, they had planted over 500 Muslim background believing churches in Ghana with 17,000 Muslim background believers. In Nigeria, almost 500 churches. You heard the breakdown of what was each people group. And in Sierra Leone, they've seen Thousands come to Christ. These are just some of the people groups and some of the churches that are being planted amongst these people. If this happened in America, it would be the fourth great awakening. I mean, this is amazing. Here's a group, the Shurbo, 218 churches amongst the Temni. All of these people groups are vast majority Muslim. And God is bringing church after church out of these, multiplying so quickly that it's hard to keep up with what God is doing. My favorite story are these people. They're from the Susa tribe. And when I first heard about this, Jerry Trousdale told me of how he was getting trained in the disciple-making movement. And he asked the trainer at the end of the training, he said, you know, we've been working many years amongst these Susa people. There have been foreign presence here for I don't know how long, but it hasn't produced much, a few churches. How many churches do you think we should plant, should expect to plant, I think it was in the next five years? And uh, Dave Watson thought about it for a while and he said, I think you should plan on 2,000. 
you know, and Jerry said, you're not listening. I mean, we've been here for decades and we've just seen a few. He says, well, I still think as of December of last year, there were 193 churches amongst these Susa people. This is something that God is doing in these disciple-making movements. Now, the question is, how can we join? I've been asking this question because I train all the time. I train people that are going to go long-term to the Muslim world. I just want in for the fun. I I want in the battle. I'd like to win a little bit. And so I've been asking, and recently I got to ask Shadanke last, what's today, Friday? So Wednesday, I called him in Sierra Leone and I asked him this, a couple questions for you. I'd like to close with this interview and then let you ask questions afterwards. Could American professionals help train Sierra Leonean optometrists in the future? Yes. It's very much possible, and it's, um, I think it's very much needed. It's highly needed. Now, how could they do that? Uh, see, I'm going to be talking to many doctors and nurses and dentists who, are, who want to be a part of movements, and I'm going to be trying to encourage them to partner with the nationals because the nationals do the jobs much better. So what do you think I could tell them? The need is on... It's, it's just a quantum of need. For example, I would tell you, like the whole southern province, you know, about half a million people, you will only find maybe two doctors in the whole of the southern for half a million people. Now, I'm actually encouraging long-term workers. I'm trying to get people who will say, I'll go and learn the language and the culture, and I'll be a part of that team, you know, for 10, that, 20 years. That is, that, is, that is even wonderful. That is really wonderful. How would you picture it? What could I tell these doctors and these nurses and dentists? What could I tell them? Shadanka would like you to do this. Can you give me an example? We have issues of dentists. We don't even have, I think in the whole country, I think it's about like four dentists that we have in the whole country. Six million people. In, in, in other areas of surgical cases. Or, I mean, the, the, the need, as far as medical issues concerned, in almost every area, there is a need because we, we really, if you research it, you realize that we, we, the number of doctors per person uh-huh. is just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So in each of these areas, we definitely, in the eye sector, is also another need there. So in each of this every area, I mean, definitely we are totally, totally understand. See, what, what these, the reason they're asking me to come to this large conference is not because I know anything about medicine. It's because I have seen these amazing movements. And many of these medical professionals, they don't want to just heal bodies. They want to see yeah. whole cultures change. They want to participate in something like the Book of Acts where the gospel yeah. sweeps through. Yeah. And so that's why they've asked me to come and tell your story. So I know yeah. what they don't want to do is go and work full-time at a medical school, and that's all they do is train doctors. They would like to somehow partner with people like those beautiful men that were dentists, and, and you know, yes. they, they, that's where they want to partner. Not, not do it, but train those guys and help them and serve those guys who can then take the gospel and, and reach the whole country. Yeah, I think that, but for me, that, that is a strategy that I believe in, and, and I, I was saying to you that there are a lot of people, some of them already have medical training, who will, this will help and coach and they will go to communities, they will live in some of the communities. 
and the liaison of the communities who are completely Muslim communities and they will touch the hearts of people. Yeah. They will really touch the hearts of people. And honestly, if they come, they may never want to go back. Yeah. That is the truth. Yeah. They will never want to go back. Let me ask about the optometrist. I, I have this picture of you standing in front of the optometrist with his hand on the wall and because that's how they test for eyes and then he gives out glasses. Was that an American doctor that trained that optometrist? An American doctor came some years ago and trained it, and that's just a training they have. Wow. That's what they do. So what if it, an optometrist came and lived with you for 10 years and he just trained lots of your people and he's constantly training them and sending them out. I, I'm, I'm telling you, that one, that would be, I don't know, that would be, it's, it's, it would be what I would call a spiritual tsunami. <laughs> <laughs> so be very candid because it is such my passion. You know, the heart for this nation, and I wanted to see a transformation beyond this nation because the people who train, we could be young failure. Yes. We could be young failure. And the ripple effect to all over Africa, I mean, definitely in Muslim countries. The, the generational touch of whatever training will be immense. Yeah. It really immense. It's going to be a movement, it's going to create a movement not only in favor, far beyond the border for failure. I'm, I'm thinking of a druggist who dispenses medications, and he yes. can come and train a number of your people to be really good at diagnosing. Not every disease by any means, but they could become experts at diagnosing, say, 50% or 80% of the common diseases and know what good medications to give. But if we could bring some people like that over who could live with you and train again yeah. and again and again and let the nationals go do it. That is, I mean, that's every area calling. I mean, like the, we are talking about that. Wrong prescription is one of the major problems in this country. Wrong prescription is affecting so many people. So bringing somebody up along that line and training people and coaching them and sending them out to the field and, and practicing it, I mean, I, I just can't imagine the testimonies and, 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 and just the touch and touching the lives of people with me. I get excited just hearing your excitement. <laughs> well, let me ask another question because I I don't know who I'm going to have in my workshop, but I know I know one doctor who's gone through our TOAG, and he was very excited when he heard that I was going to come and address other doctors and medical professionals with this topic. I asked you a question once. We were we were seeing so much fruit, all these churches being planted, and I said. Shadanke, I would just love to get on the back of a motorbike and go with one of these church planters and just be with them, just to have the fun of, of doing it with him. And you said, yes, provided that you went as his peer, not as his teacher, but you went and you just worked with him. And I thought about these medical doctors who've got you know years and years of expertise. And I, I know it would be hard for them to not use their expertise in in the fields where they've been so well trained, but but even if they could go with, like the, the, the medical technician that helped Ted get over his uh, reaction to the malaria medication, that guy, I would love to see a doctor travel with him, get on the back of a motorbike, and the two of them go out, and while they're just helping the people, 
the Jesus stories are shared, the Shema statements, people are invited into discovery groups. Do you think that there's a, a place for medical practitioners yeah, to go with? Yeah, it's so much of a place. I mean, you're just touching my heart. That is what I want to see. That is what we're doing. I mean, definitely, there is so much room for that. When we listen to the motorbike and, and going to communities and villages, and I'm telling you, if you only even set a team, I would just want to try it for every six months. I, I will tell you, the testimonies when they go back, we saw a bound if they ever go back. <laughs> that is, but those things are extremely possible, and uh, it's, uh, it's just an open field for it. I have one other uh, uh, technical question. Can you yeah. tell me any stories of the, the dentists that, that go out? Can you tell me any actual stories of how one of them planted a church or how several of them actually planted a church using their dental yeah. skills? Now, I, I want to tell you a story of a, a dentist, a church planter dentist called Cassie. His name is Cassie. Okay. Yeah, Cassie is from a very small village with Texan. Um, hundred people, and Cafe, being a church planter, was trained to plant churches. And then, as an opportunity, when the dentist doctor came, was one of the church planters that went through the training. And with that training, Cafe got. The first thing Cafe did was that he went back to his home village, which was most important. And everybody knew that he had been a follower of Jesus. And they have been untrue him in the past. They were not happy with him. But when he went now and telling them that I'm here to help, using their history as a platform. I mean, the entire village rally around him. And Cassis used the skills that he had got and went to another friend. And, and, and day after day, they just treated people and he told the story. I want to know today that out of those stories and those relationships, and Cassis using the dentist. Today, the church has been planted in that community. The community, half of the people of the community today are followers of Jesus. But not only that, there's a school now in that community out of this single work that Cassie did in the community. That's so wonderful. Do you know, um, are there, have there been many churches planted by these dentists? A, a lot of, I mean, this, this year, the year on a review, there's some more than 30 churches planted by dentists and some of the medical guys. More than 30 churches planted in Muslim communities. I've been working with Muslims for 34 years. For most of my life, I thought this was just pie in the sky. We would never see this. Some of you know what we're talking about. We could go years and years and not see anything like this. And now God is just breaking out of the box and He is expanding His kingdom. But we can certainly join Him in bringing in more of the harvest. And I think that some of you with your medical skills, if you use it in a reproducible way, could participate in something like this that does a whole lot more for Africa than any of our bombs and military will ever do. Any questions? <clears throat> Very good question. They're actually tra tra uh, trained in the disciple uh, disciple group, 
Discovery Bible Study Method. They get regular. They get about a week's training first, and then every three or four months they'll come back for six days. They'll come out of the locations where they at back where they're retrained. So they're constantly being trained. I've went gone to numerous. Uh, we would call them TEE, Theological Training by Extension, where the the church planters are brought in for training on the job, so they never get away from their flocks. Yes. Medicine and dental work obviously requires supplies and some funding. How does that work for these church planters that are doubling as? Got an easier question? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but I'm glad you're asking because everything has to be reproducible. I know we went into Iraq with like $4 million of meds right after the last invasion, and it was all donated. So I imagine there are ways to get supplies. MAP, I don't know if MAP still does it, but they used to supply meds. So place like, But they're trying to think everything reproducible. Yeah. It wouldn't be your top surgical labs going in there. This would be their survival mode in many of these places. But, yes? Um, any women's health work, women's doctors, anything like that? Of course. Every, you can't work with, with, you can't reach Muslim women without women. It's just got to be. Now, my stories are all with men because I'm a man. That's where I travel. But, I, but yes, lots and lots of women. You, you saw the Margaret, this widow, came in and started six churches in, amongst Muslims. I mean, maybe you don't understand how weird this is to hear these things because uh, some of us have tried for years and just banged our head against the wall and... She did it as a single widow. How did she do it? I mean, we're talking medicine and dentistry. Actually, no, she didn't do it that way. She did it through miracle. She went in and she knew she had to find the person of peace and she didn't know and she had no skills to really offer. So she said, God, how am I going to find this? Eventually what happened is there was a guy that died who was of ill repute and so the villages decided they weren't going to bury him. It was really a, a, a... Quite a shocking thing. She told everybody what she felt Jesus told her. She says, I thought I was supposed to just tell them, tell them I'm coming. And so she passed this news around because she felt it was from the Lord. I'm supposed to tell them I'm coming. I don't even know why. So she showed up eventually. By this time, the word had gotten around to several of the villages that this crazy person had said, God said I'm supposed to come and I'm coming. And she came, found this guy, and she challenged the whole village with ethics. She said, this is not right. Even though this man was of ill repute, we still need to honor him. And so I will take on the responsibility of performing and burying him. So she did. And the, the, the chieftain that I saw, he thought so highly of that that he then gave her the honor of a reputable woman. And so now her testimony was accepted and she started planting churches. So that was all through a miracle. And many of them are. In fact, I was talking to Dr. Luke over the table um, I don't know if he goes by his last name, but anyway, he's from the from Pakistan. I think it's okay to say. And he was saying, none of us ever know of anybody that we've brought into the kingdom. It's always a combination of all kinds of things that God brings together to bring them to Himself. Yes. Yeah, we uh, <clears throat> I'm part of an organization that is building a medical clinic in Sierra Leone. I've been there uh, a few times, and I've noticed that, and I. I'm not sure this is uh, 
typical, I'm sure it's not typical, but where the Muslims and the Christians coexist in these villages and they intermarry. And in Sierra Leone, that's true, yes. Not in Nigeria. Yeah, yeah. Boy. And, and so I've always thought that that was a open door for yeah. evangelism. And and even one time uh, we, you know, we brought medicine and it didn't end up there. The bags got lost and so this was the second time we went there and still with no medicine. And the people, you know, their, their basic message was, even without medicine, can you just teach us? Mm-hmm. Can you just teach us to help ourselves? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that's where the biggest takeaway is for me here is everything we do, we have to think of it being reproducible. As much as possible, we give them the honor. That's why his statement to me, yes, Nathan, you could get on the bike and go with these guys, but not as their teacher, not as their authority. Go as their servant. Give them the honor because they're the ones that will have so much more impact for Christ on their people. What a privilege to go and serve with people like this. Everybody who goes there <laughs> wants to go back, definitely. Yeah, and and the thing is we can influence all of Africa. I mean, wow, yes. These folks have not had to contextualize greatly. Now, in this same organization further east, they've contextualized greatly. I sat down with 11 sheikhs, Muslim sheikhs, and got to interview them. I mean, these guys all came in with all the gowns. They had to stop in the middle of the interview to have their prayers, and they prayed in the typical Muslim format. When I asked them theological questions, they were right on the money theologically. They were probably more orthodox than some of our seminaries, which is kind of sad. But, but they're still Muslim. Now, that's on the east. In this area, because, probably because of this, it is a Muslim country, but it's not the same high identity, partly because they've had so much war, Muslims killing Muslims, that there's not the same high identity, so contextualization is not as much. Now, you saw the way they sang was not American songs. It wasn't Kumbaya put into some other language. But yes? Okay. Yeah. Shema statement is anything that will catch the attention of a person of peace. So, for instance, when we're out in Bangladesh and we got arrested by these uh, rapid, advance, rapid advance battalion, not because we were bad, but because they thought we were into something. We've been passing out so much literature that they were just suspicious. But in the process, when they came and arrested us, we just talked freely about spiritual things, about Jesus, and it tweaked one of the guys. One of the guys dressed, dressed in full black bandana with his Klechnikov. And later that night when we were taken to some other place, he slipped us a piece of paper and on that paper was his name and contact. He wanted us to follow up with him. So for him, the Shema statement was just that we follow Jesus and we're here helping others to learn about him and it tweaked his interest. For someone else, it might be, I remember sitting at the mosque early one morning in Phoenix and uh, it was Fajr prayers, which is really early. And when we got done, I said to my friend, I said, you know, I was reading the other day in the Quran and it said, in Surah 8, it says, a true Muslim is someone who when Allah's name is mentioned, their heart trembles. 
And I thought of the Zabur, the Psalms of David. And David makes this statement that in your presence, God, is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forever. And this guy just about grabbed me. He says, you and I must talk. And he took me back into the mosque, opened it up, and we sat there for an hour at least talking about the Lord. So that little statement that David said, in your presence is fullness of joy. The fact that I have experienced some of that was a Shema statement. It caught his attention. And from there, we went on to months and months of studying the scriptures together. So a Shema statement may be uh, talking about the person's name. Like if you, I, I often when I travel, they can't say Nathan in some cultures, so I'll use the word Mustafa. Why do you take that name? Because I love it. It means chosen of God. And I feel especially chosen of God. That's a great Shema statement because it says, here's someone for whom God is very important. And the person of peace generally finds us. So they will make themselves known to us as a result of that. Any more questions about that? It's a difference between me sitting down, drilling teeth, and going through the four spiritual laws with somebody that's not ready to hear, doesn't understand, and just saying beautiful things about God that if that's a sensitive person, what, what Jesus told us to look for in Matthew 10 and Luke 10, persons of peace, they will let, them, let us know. Were you going to ask a question? Oh, sorry. Are there sending organizations that are dedicated to this type of ministry of training? And yes. Uh, Frontiers is one. Pioneers is another. I know those two really well, and I happen to work with Frontiers part-time, so I, I really love that organization. But they are the whole organization now is, is completely retooling to think disciple-making movements. They're holding these six-day trainings uh, four times a year all over the world. So wherever you are, you can go for the training. And then they're coaching the people afterwards. That's so, so important. It's not enough to just hear it up here. You have to have somebody that helps you constantly think in terms of movements. Any other questions? Well, thank you very much. You've been a great audience.